0: Welcome to the Healthy Charleston podcast, where we help you take ownership of your health and fitness. My name is Hannah, and I am here to be your source of accurate health and fitness information while spreading awareness about all of the different health and fitness resources available to you in the Charleston area. Be sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Healthy Charleston podcast. Today's episode is all about training and fueling as a runner, and more specifically for the Cooper River Bridge Run happening in Charleston on April 1st. So our main highlight today is Claire, nutrition coach with Clarity Nutrition, and we talk all about how to fuel for the bridge run and as a runner and endurance athlete in general. So we talk about how you should be eating the three to four weeks before this race, so probably right now. The week before, the night before, the hours before, and during and after, if you want to feel and perform your best. So before we get into that, in regards to training for this race, let's talk injury prevention and strategy real quick. So when we say injury prevention, we're really talking about trying to reduce the risk that you experience pain or an injury. So it helps to know why injuries happen in the first place. Injuries can happen when you experience more load, more stress, more demands than you're used to. We talk about the cup analogy all the time. Think about pouring a gallon of water in an eight ounce cup. It's gonna overflow. So when load exceeds capacity, we have a risk or a higher likelihood of experiencing an injury. You're placing more demands on your body than your system can tolerate. This can happen sometimes in training, From huge ramp-ups, like if I'm used to running a mile and then I go run six on April 1st, probably not going to feel good and I have a higher risk of injury because of that acute increase in workload. I notice for some people it's the after effect rather than experiencing pain and injuries during, it's the days and the weeks after. It's, oh, I just ran this race, I feel fine. And then you go have a few beers with your friends and get a hot dog and whatever. And then the days and the weeks after this acute increase, they start to experience pain. Maybe they're having calf pain, shin splints, foot pain. And it's because this big acute increase was too much and your body potentially wasn't prepared for it or didn't recover from it. Combination of both. This can also happen over time with constantly pushing the envelope, always doing more, always pushing more and not recovering or not staying at a certain level, a certain intensity and letting your body adapt. So you're breaking things down more than you're building them up. And so instead we want to build them up slowly over time. So to feel and perform your best for this race, you need to train and in general, you need to train to follow a program that is slowly increasing, progressing, and adjusting over time based on how you feel and your feedback and also other factors in your life. This allows you to build up your capacity. You get to build up your cup. You get to build up your tissues tolerance to load. Since our bodies are really cool and they do adapt to the stressors we place on ourselves, if we recover from it and if it's dosed properly, we can positively adapt to it and get the benefit out of the stress. Like Dr. Rachel Riley says, the stimulus you recover from is the stimulus you adapt to. So to get the best result, ideally you are following a progressive run training plan, running two to three times per week, especially if a 10K is more mileage than you're used to. If you haven't started running yet and you're planning on doing the bridge run, now is the time to start training. I would start with a more conservative run for your first test. And then go from there, because I always say, I'd rather I give you a haircut and you come back and you're like, Hey, can you trim off a little bit more hair than me shave your head? And we have to wait for it to grow back. I'd rather you feel really good. You get a really great baseline and you're like, okay, next time I feel like I can do a little bit more. You want to make sure you're, you're getting the green light after each run. You also want to be strength training, strength training, two to three days per week, focusing on all major muscle groups will give you huge dividends when it comes to performance, injury risk reduction, and overall physical and mental health. If you're really limited on time right now as a runner, and just as a human in today's society, just focus on lower body, that's okay. It doesn't have to be super fancy. It doesn't have to be super complicated. It can be 30 minutes and it can still be really beneficial and effective. Specifically for runners, Um, You'd be surprised by how many people struggle with calf and ankle strength and they can't stand on one leg. They can't jump on one leg. They can't do a, a full calf raise and jumping on one leg. That's all that running is. It's just a series of controlled, repetitive jumps over and over and over again. So I really recommend calf strengthening and throwing in some jump and impact training, like single leg pogos being a part of your routine. If you've ever felt pain on the front of your shins, Also, people call them shin splints sometimes that probably involves your anterior tibialis muscle. So these muscles are really involved on the downhill portion of this run. Your body is having to eccentrically control the contraction. And while you're running downhill, you're getting a pretty significant amount of range of motion. If you've ever done this kind of race before, the other weird thing that I think about is if you're walking your dog and your dog is really pulling you. Your feet are probably like slapping the ground. Um, And so you really want to train this muscle to be able to tolerate that, that eccentric load. And it's just not something that we do often in our training, training our TAs. It's like not super sexy, but you know some good shin muscles when you see them. So in the next few weeks, make sure to add in some tibialis anterior, also known as TA raises. You can walk on your heels, bonus points if you're carrying a weight in each hand, and even just adding in some simple Banded dorsiflexions, attach a band to something, put it on the top of your foot. You should be pulling your foot towards you. The resistance is going the other way. If you can't picture what I am obviously describing really fabulously right now, um, we posted a video on these exercises on the made to move page a couple weeks ago. You can go check it out. Secondly, that hill. If you live in Charleston, there is a high chance your body is not used to running on inclines and declines. And you wanna make sure the first time you're running the bridge isn't on race day. As it stands right now, the weather has been amazing. Try to go get in two to three bridge practice runs before the big day, ideally spread apart like a week at a time. And then lastly, let's talk strategy. So before the race, at the race, during the race and after. Before the race, spend some time thinking about your goals. What do you want out of this? What would success be like for you? And make sure to match your actions with your goals. If you're trying to PR, you should definitely be training for it. If this is just something you want to do with your friends, then that's great. Then you don't need to really get super frustrated when someone passes you. So these goals are really helpful to keep you in check and make sure you're intentional these next few weeks. At the race, if you've done it before, you know, You're going to wake up really early. You're going to get on a bus and then you're going to stand in line for a while. You're probably standing in line for a while. And so you should use that time, obviously not like hours before, but like the 20 minutes before to run in place, jump in place, do some hip hinges, calf raises, lunges, air squats, just trying to prime your body, keep your body moving because there there typically is a lot of idle time before your section goes. So Claire also gives us some great advice in this episode for what to bring to fuel in this time before the race. During the race itself, you're going to feel really good in the beginning. It's going to be exciting. There's going to be people around you. It's going to be adrenaline. It's going to be chaotic. Don't burn out too early because even at the top of the bridge, I think you still have about three miles left. So run your own race, literally. Stick to a sustainable pace and leave room to push it towards the end so that on King Street, you're able to run and wave to your friends and not look like you're dying. But if you look like you're dying, that is okay. After the race, it's okay if you do experience aches and pains after the fact. It can be a solid amount of stress on your body. It doesn't mean that you're doomed, but the more that you can prepare, the better, the more you can recover, the better. And if those aches and pains are lingering, it's been two to three weeks. They're not going away. They're not tolerable. You're re- really worried, or they're really limited you, limiting you. Go get them checked out for sure. Don't waste more time, you know, avoiding training or avoiding running or just not feeling good. So really, after the race, focus on recovering trying to get sleep, trying to fuel properly, maybe taking a couple rest days, and Claire gives us some strategies to do that. What's up, Claire? Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome. (laughs) Today we are talking about bridge run training and nutrition, and then a little bit broader than that, just how to fuel and train as an endurance athlete. So I want to start with, do you have any fun bridge run stories? Have you ever run the bridge run? What's your experience? Yes,
1: I've done the bridge run, I think three years if I'm remembering correctly. Um the second year that I did it, um unbeknownst to me, is I had a blood clot hmm, um hate when and that happens yeah, I had a blood clot in my leg, so I think the bridge run was like the second or that year, like of April. And then April 15th, I was admitted to the ICU with a DVT and um, PE. So I had clots in my lungs as well um, and had a good, like, week long stay in the ICU. So, yeah, I didn't know that I ran the bridge run with a blood clot, but when I look back at pictures, my leg is, like, double the size, um, and I did it. And then I did the next year as a redemption, and then I've yeah. never done it since. That was it? Yep, that's, that's, You're not that's doing it, it this it. year? <laughs> that's, like, everyone's like, oh, I'm going to do it this year. And I'm like, well, I did it with a blood clot, so I'm good. Yeah, Can't you really had, like, that. the
0: lowest low that you yeah. could possibly do. Yeah, so What did you think it was?
1: I... Got my leg checked out in f- January or February, and I had done like a classic double under workout the day or two prior, and my leg was sore a couple hours later or whatever. So the doctor did the scan. I think he missed the blood clot at the point at that point, but um, I don't have any proof of that. He was like, "Oh, you do CrossFit, so you you probably you must hurt just yourself." Be hurt. Yeah, yeah, you. He said I tore my plant, tore or strained my plantaris muscle because my calf was swollen, and so he's like, "Take six to eight weeks off." And then classic me first workout back was the bridge run because I was touring MESC to come here. And then my leg turned blue. So um, we just thought that it was like I pulled a muscle and then took some time off and then I was good to go.
0: Plantaris is just like, it's just like horrible advice. Like it's just a, such a tiny muscle yeah. too. I'm like, would that really be the thing here? But yeah. you know, whatever.
1: That's, that's a whole thing. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So, so don't do what Claire story. did No. the first time. If your leg is double the size, get it checked out.
0: For sure, yes. Okay, so runners running the bridge run, all about nutrition. In general, what advice would you give? What should they do? Um, There's a couple of ways
1: that I generally recommend breaking it down. Um, and if you look up any kind of research article or advice for endurance nutrition, they're always gonna break it down to pre-race, during the race, and then post-race. Um, and pre-race is pretty... Kind of – you could take it all over the place. So we'll definitely break it down into like four weeks, obviously, up until the bridge run, I guess at least from when we're recording. So I guess it'll go And up. posting. Yeah. yeah okay, yeah. cool. So it'll be four weeks pre-race. There's obviously some things to consider. Then obviously like the night before and a couple hours, obviously, before that race. And then things that you maybe want to do before the race and then obviously post-race. So we can obviously talk about those. Yes.
0: Yeah. So pre-race. And I, I mean, I also feel like – The bridge run is so, it's such a big event that you get a lot of people running it that aren't runners and that aren't used to having to fuel for training or for running. They're just like a lot of people that maybe don't work out or they don't run. And I think that there is a lot of benefit in using this as a way to learn and just like educate people on nutrition in general, but also like how to get the most out of this run and, and feel the best too. Yeah. So three to four weeks out, is there anything that you should be doing or changing or preparing for to run this? Yeah. So three to four weeks out,
1: we I hate saying it, we don't really want to make a ton of drastic changes. So this is probably going to be a little bit more generalized, but like for three to four weeks out, I would not say, hey, let's make crazy changes. So I wouldn't try to lose 20 or 30 pounds. The case when we have Any athlete who is training for a sport is we look at what their in-season kind of opportunity is, whether that is like for the CrossFitters, the Open or Fittest of the Coast or the Games or whatever, weightlifters, maybe they've got meets or whatever. For endurance athletes, big races. And so obviously with races, it's a little bit different, but like we're going to pretend that the bridge run is your race. So three to four weeks out, we're going to view that you're in-season. I wouldn't make crazy changes and I would focus on a couple of things specifically One, just overall feeling enough. So biggest thing is going to be calories. Generally want to make sure that we're eating enough to support the exercise that we're doing if we're training. Hopefully we are training, but if we are, you know, practicing with runs or even just like hitting a normal workout and then we're going to do the bridge run three to four weeks is really just kind of optimizing a lot of the stuff that we're doing. So I would make sure that we're eating enough. Um, That really is a very subjective Amount, but usually I have people take their body weight, multiply it by ten to figure out like bare minimum how many calories should they be eating if they're doing nothing. So if you're a 150 pound person, your just kind of be what we call it a BMR is going to be 1,500 calories. Again, you doing could get nothing, more specific. Though. Yeah, doing nothing. So if you are eating less than that. Then I would probably make some pretty drastic measures in the first week or so to try to eat a little bit more. Hopefully, you'll notice that you're actually feeling a lot better for all of your performances, whether you're running or whatever training that you're doing leading up to the bridge run. That hopefully we're eating more than that. Usually, most people are, Um, even if you say they're eating 1,200 calories. When we factor in maybe like weekends and stuff, usually we're eating a little bit more. Um, But generally speaking, take your body weight by multiply it by 13 to 15 is a good estimate of like generally how many calories you're burning. So I would try to shoot for that target range of calories, um, for performance, and then just adjust with your biofeedback. If you eat that and you are feeling underrecovered, eat a little bit more. Um, you can always use your body weight for indications of whether you're eating in a deficit or a surplus or at maintenance. If you eat a certain number of calorie intake and you start losing weight, maybe we eat a little bit more so that we aren't losing weight. Again, we want to be as optimally fueled um, with that. So generally the question of being fueled comes with, are you eating enough calories? So that's where I would first start with those three to four weeks prior to the bridge run. Then we want to look into protein intake. So we generally want to be eating roughly our body weight and protein evenly spaced throughout the day over. I generally find four to six meals are best for people you can do breakfast, lunch, and dinner, but usually I find if you're trying to eat body weight of protein, you weigh 150 pounds. If you break that over three times, it's that's, tough. <laughs> that's 50 grams of protein at a meal, which for a lot of people is just past what they feel comfortable with. So four meals generally is where we encourage a lot of people to eat, um, but – if you are doing some sort of you know exercise, you can obviously break that into like a pre and post workout and then have two to three meals outside of that. And it makes it usually pretty easy to do. And then with carbon take, that's going to be probably the most important thing for endurance athletes or just honestly any athlete. Humans. The only caveat, which I think that we'll get to probably later, is ultra runners um, doing very, very long, kind of greater than two and a half to four three and a half hours. If you're doing endurance sports longer than that, you're going to deplete your carb intake. Um, No matter what. Yeah. I mean, marathon runners hit that 18 mile mark and hit a wall. It's like a very classic Mm -hmm. thing. Generally then having some fat utilization is going to be really helpful because you're also below that kind of threshold of your VO2 max really to – kind of say, hey, we're burning mostly carbs. Usually when we're below like 60%, we're mostly utilizing fat oxidation anyways. You know, generally want to be in a very carb intake heavy for this sort of like shorter race, which for most people is a very doable race. If you've never done a 10K before, this might be near maximal for you. But for most people, this is a very like classic race that people do. It's nothing crazy. A lot of times people have done half marathons or marathons before. So this is a very approachable race for for many. But generally speaking, you want to be eating enough carbs. Um, and this number could be taken all over the place. I mean, there's a research article that came out in 2019 that did a review of a lot of past endurance studies. And it said if you do moderate exercise, you should be consuming, I think it was five to seven grams per kilogram of body weight, which if you are a 70-kilogram person, which is roughly 150 pounds – I'm good at kilo math now, which is really cool. good for you. Thank you. I've really (laughs) made it in the the world. Um, You should be consuming – I think it's like 350 to 450 grams of carbs, which most people aren't doing and is pretty hard to do. So I really wouldn't go crazy with our carb intake, but I would generally – 1,000% 1,000% make sure you're consuming above 100 grams of carbs. Um, yeah, but okay. 150 plus, anywhere between like, I think if you're, you know, eating roughly 1,800 calories to 2,300 calories, probably consuming anywhere from 175 grams of carbs to 225. And that's a very flexible number. Most of that should be bulked around your workouts. So before a workout should be consuming, I would say – Thirty to sixty grams of carbs, and same thing post workout. So that's very loose recommendations, but it really just depends on physically what you c- can handle in a meal. With endurance athletes, we do have to worry about GI distress. Um, mm. If you have never had a, pro- a pre workout meal, don't have like classic example is the office. Like what not to do is have. Was this Fetichini the rabies Alfredo. awareness? It was the rabies run. <laughs> it was a 5K. <laughs> and he eats it's a, like a carb bowl. loading. Yeah, and he carb loads. Um, usually with carb loading, if you will, um, you really don't need to be doing significant carbo loading other than like if you're doing like I think greater than 90 minutes of exercise, which for most people, they're going to be kind of under that threshold. So don't go crazy here. Um, you do not want to feel like you've got bricks in your stomach. So start small Oof. and then build up from there. I know when I used to be a soccer player, I couldn't eat under two hours before because I would just get like Mm -hmm. cramps and stuff. So if you are one of those people that you can eat a meal and then go out for a great run, do it. If not, give yourself maybe one to two hours before.
0: But like, don't try it the first time the day of.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like I think, and also I think that The day of, there's just a lot of like pre-race anxiety too. You're like waking up really early. You're around a bunch of people. You're probably seeing a bunch of people you know. Like I always feel way different. The two hours before just my normal workout, what I'm like literally eating a bagel and a Pop-Tart and like I feel great. The two hours before a CrossFit competition workout or the open, I'm like I cannot inhale anything except for air because I am just so like worked up. Just a ball of anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. I like what you said about biofeedback though, like really basing it on how you feel too and adjusting along the way. In regards to like carbs and calories and protein, like why? Why should someone be increasing what they normally eat? Or like, why do we want to fuel this way?
1: Because we want to do well. And even if people are like, oh, I don't really care how I do. um, Most people don't want to feel like crap when they're doing these things. And so if we do the bridge run and it takes it completely out of you and you're cramping up and you are just feeling like bricks are in your legs or stomach, like there's so much that can go from that. You could get injured. You could lose. And this is the bigger thing. Like if you do this race and you feel miserable during it, how likely are you going to be to pick up running or keep with running after that? Maybe you had dreams of doing or aspirations of doing a marathon and you do this race completely underfueled and underprepared and you just hate it. You're really not going to stick to that. Um, and so it could have implications in your future training. Maybe you start to be classically like, oh, I'm not a runner then or, or whatever. So I mean, my question or my answer to that question is really like, why not? Like, why wouldn't you want to feel better during any aspect that you're going to do so if you're going to do crossfit or if you're going to run or you're going to weightlift like why would you not feel to make yourself just feel better during it because like no one wants to feel like they have a blood clot in their leg doing a run because like i really it was it took me after that and it was kind of why i did the bridge run the year following because i kind of needed a little bit of redemption And I had a lot of mental anxiety built up around running because it's different. It wasn't that I wasn't prepared or I wasn't fueled or anything like that. But I felt so bad after that run. And it obviously led to a very traumatic event in my life that it created a lot of like mental blocks. And with any exercise or nutrition or whatever, if you have a really like terrible event with something, you almost never want to do it again.
0: Like If you get food poisoning,
1: you don't want to eat that Mm -hmm. food. It's kind of the same thing. So if we can minimize that and we lower that barrier to reaching goals and setting high aspirations, my answer is kind of like,
0: why not? Yeah. Why wouldn't you want to set yourself up for success? Yeah.
1: Um, I mean, a lot of people probably have read David Goggins' book. I don't remember the name. I'm going to blank on it. But he didn't prepare for anything And he has the book perspective of mental fortitude and mental toughness. And I'm not going to really, like, touch on that. But, like, he set himself up for failure for every single, like, race and stuff that he did. Because he was like, I didn't train and I did an ultra. Or this is how I got through hell week. And all these things were stacked against him. And his perspective was like, it built mental fortitude, which probably. But it was like, could you imagine how much better he could have been And if he hadn't have had all of these roadblocks up for him, he's a beast when it comes to like mindset. And I think he's just kind of like a genetic freak, but not all of us are. So I would say like, why wouldn't you want to be fueled and and feel your your absolute best
0: for that? And, and if you're going to do this run, if you're going to train like a runner, fuel like a runner, like f- mm-hmm. fully treat yourself the way that you should to get the most out of this. I like what you said, like just set yourself up for success. The Healthy Charleston podcast is brought to you by Made to Move Physical Therapy. Made to Move Physical Therapy specializes in helping you get out of pain and get back to doing what you love. We offer relationship-oriented, one-on-one, individualized care to all of our clients, and we believe in putting the patient's needs first. If you'd like to work with me or any of our other physical therapists at Made to Move, Check out the link in the show notes and get 10% off of your first session. We have locations throughout Charleston, Mount Pleasant, West Ashley, Somerville, and Daniel Island. Don't waste another day stuck in your pain. Follow the link and schedule an appointment today. So with the three to four weeks really focusing on just like probably calories in general, protein, carbs, what about like the... You know, should we do the Michael Scott? Should we eat fettuccine Alfredo? Carbo loading the the days before, and then yeah. also getting into like breakfast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So specifically
1: in that pre week, couple of days leading up to it, there's a couple of questions you generally need to ask yourself: Is what is this race, and how? What is the stress that this race is going to bring to you? Like not mental stress, anxiety. I'm mean, going to have mental anxiety about anything, um, but like physical stress. Like let's look at the people who are going to be winning this race or people who have done marathons. And we think of like, what is the rate of perceived exertion of this race for you? If you do marathons and you do half marathons and you are just a seasoned runner, this race isn't going to be much for you. If the most that you've ever run is a mile, Different story. So, we do have to kind of look at what is going to be the point of exhaustion and how exhausting is this race going to be before we kind of ask these questions. Generally speaking, if this is going to be like a near maximal race, maybe we want to start 36 to 48 hours with some sort of like pre car loading perspective. Maybe there's going to be some nutritional advantage advantages mm-hmm. advantages. You could have um, said it and like it would have oh, flown, man. and people would have uh, been like, "Yes, yeah,
0: smart." Yes, uh,
1: whatever. <laughs> um, adv- I was going to say advantageous, but whatever advantages um, advantages there you go. advantages um, to to this. But really, there's going to be like I just a mental placebo. Which like, if this is a hard nice. race for you, and you think that having some carbs before bed every night is going to help you, go for it. The general recommendations from several, you know, sports societies and stuff like that, nutritional, like Academy of Dietetics and Nutrition really puts around like 60 minute marks. So if you're going to be, if this race is under 60 minutes for you, <clears throat> you really don't need pre-night and pre-day fueling. Um, if this is going to be greater than 90 minutes of a race for you, we do generally want to recommend something at least the night before around like two and a, I think it's two and a half hours. Pre, if a race is going to be two and a half hours, that's when we want like a week of nutritional increases to give yourself, that's almost like glycogen topping off. So for most people, they're going to be above that like 60% um, VO2 max, which is just basically going to decide, are you burning fat? Are you burning carbs? You're, to be really honest, you're going to burn both. Um, and I wouldn't try to optimize all of that really. There's We could probably spend six hours Mm -hmm. talking about, are you burning fat, carbs, which is better, which is worse. But generally speaking, you're going to be in a very carb-dominant, glycogen-dominant fuel pathway. So you're going to be burning mostly glycogen, which is going to come from carbs. So generally speaking, we want to prioritize our carb intake the night before, or maybe the two or three days before. The whole Michael Scott situation too, was he was eating a ton of fats, which just harder to digest really we don't want to adjust fat intake we may want to minimize it a little bit but like having a little bit of fat storage if you do hit a wall is just going to help i wouldn't eat a tub of peanut butter but i definitely wouldn't try to like maximize or minimize intake fat intake to an extreme but the night before i would definitely encourage a heavy carb meal so what that could look like is rice pasta breads, a bagel, something like that. Um, and if, again, if you take the next three to four weeks and you start to get a little bit of awareness in why you're eating, maybe you download a food tracking app, whether that's MyFitnessPal, Chronometer. I think Fat Secret is a new one that's coming out because you can have the barcode feature mm-hmm. um, for free where MyFitnessPal. Mm, it's they, full free. Mm, I think so. I think oh, it's full free. Okay. I haven't gotten into figuring it out yet, but um, I've heard good things. I think Lose It is another app as well. So you could start just getting a little bit of an awareness. And so get an idea of what you typically eat during the day. If you're eating 200 grams of carbs, eat 250 the night before or something. And the idea is that it's supposed to top off your glycogen stores um, because that's going to be your muscle glycogen and liver glycogen are really going to be fueling the bulk of that training or that race that you're going to be doing. And again, throw a little bit of protein in there as well. Um, protein generally, we want to have a daily intake of that. I wouldn't, There's no research to suggest that you can protein load, if you will. Instead, we just want to make sure that we are providing our body with the tools to not degrade a lot of muscle, rebuild any muscle that is broken down during that run. Um, and then also there's just a lot of other reasons that we want to have a protein, high protein intake anyways. So just making sure that that is kind of handled there. So that's the night before. Try to get as much sleep as possible, even though you're going to be waking up at three in the morning. Getting on a bus. If you're my stepdad, though, hopefully he's not going to listen. He made me wake up at like one in the morning so we could get there at like 2.30 for the buses that left at like five. I don't think it was that dramatic, but he was like, we need to be on the very first bus. Yeah. It's
0: like every dad getting to the airport like three or four hours before. Yeah. He's that.
1: I did an, a half Ironman in June and he was doing the swim portion of it and- I think the first bus was at 4.30 and we were not listed to go until I think 8 or something. We were on the very first bus. And then he was like, we need to get to the area where the buses were so early. And I was just like, Oh my God. You've had
0: like a full day before you even start the race. Yeah. So
1: that is the biggest thing. And this is very common with a lot of runs is the start is not where you finish. And so the bridge one specifically, Mm. the start is not where you finish. And so there has to be, you have to get shuttled out there. So figure, I mean, this is not a nutritional strategy. Figure out where you're going to park, give yourself 30 minutes of, of wiggle room, set many alarms. If you're someone who needs alarms Then we look at how do we fuel from point of time when you wake up to when you start the race. If you're, I think the buses, you generally expect to be leaving around five in the morning and then the race doesn't start until eight or 9am. So that is four hours from bus to start. And you're probably going to be waking up at least 30 minutes before. So there's a couple things. You can't eat breakfast at three in the morning and then expect to that to be goes that energy is going to be pretty much fully digested. Pre-workout meals, when you eat something one to two hours, glycogen takes twelve to thirty six hours to replenish. So if you have a pre-workout meal, you're not using that as glycogen. You're actually using that as like kind of blood sugar energy. so just kind of like you've got energy kind of readily available to be used. Um, And it kind of gives you that extra ability to push in a workout. So when we eat something, we generally, that's the benefit that we're having. So if you eat something at three in the morning when you wake up and then you don't do anything until nine, all of that's digested and great. It might be going towards general fueling, but it's probably not going to help you for the race. You're going to be pretty much training in a fasted state. And ideally speaking, we don't want to be in a fasted state. That's going to require you to bring a couple of things. Um, Some things randomly that you probably want to consider is you need to be prepared to bring things that you're willing to toss out. So whether you buy like crappy Tupperware or you bring things in plastic bottles, don't bring your nice Yeti that has all of this thing or your favorite glass Tupperware because BPAs are bad or whatever. Be prepared to bring things that you're willing to throw out and create a little bit of trash. Um, because that's just less that you also have to carry it during the be race. Running
0: the race with my like Yeti and my like <laughs> nice Tupperware, and you're like rigwa right. and your hydro flask, and you just have like yeah a a bag with you. Yeah. yeah.
1: When we're bringing things to to get ready to for the race, generally things we want to bring is caffeine. If you are a caffeine drinker, um, if you're not, don't try caffeine the day before the race. Um, your body's <laughs> going to hate you for it. Um, you might do well though, but. Vice versa, don't bring all of the caffeine. You're don't gonna bring want a six energy drinks. For yes. sure. And
0: there's no bathroom on the top of the bridge.
1: No, there's not. Um, well, I guess there's water, but you know, the,
0: a lot of people watching. No, don't do that. Yeah. Those
1: snipers that will be chilling there are not going to like you. The snipers. Yes. Yeah. But you're going to want to bring a couple of things caffeine, if you're a caffeine drinker, water, food. And then I would encourage you to have some snacks as backups and um, some liquids that can help you for a couple things. For me personally, when I've done any sort of endurance race, the bridge run, specifically that Ironman, I'm just kind of anxiously running around. And so it was helpful to have something to just kind of sip on. Um, A lot of people, we were talking about this before, like you're not hungry when you're super anxious and in that kind of like high anxiety, central nervous system, sympathetic, just like running, running, running around. And so you may not be super hungry. And so having like Gatorade that has sugar, so not the G2. If you have a weird thing with Gatorades, coconut water is a really good option or even like a protein shake. For something for you to sip on, to rehydrate uh, liquid carbs and stuff like that really does help. It gives you a lot of that, that carbs, the protein without there being a lot of like GI distress. But I would bring something for many people like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich is a really good option. I wouldn't be sitting here trying to have a perfect like macro split meal. So if you do track protein, carbs, and fats, um, and you generally have like 30 grams of protein in your breakfast or whatever... Don't try to sit here and force it. Like there's not a ton of protein in a peanut butter and jelly, but it is going to be a decent bit of like food for you to have as fuel. And if you can have like a protein shake or a protein bar or something like that, definitely go for it. But pre-race, we're really going to be prioritizing carbohydrates, water, and electrolytes. So if I were doing the race, I would be bringing a peanut butter and jelly sandwich because it's just so tasty water that has electrolytes. For me, um, liquid IV is a really great option. Not noon. Um, I do like noon, but um, element is great as well. And I personally do love coconut water. So I would be bringing coconut water in a bag that I'm pretty, pretty okay. Just like tossing um, and not worrying about. And you can do a Ziploc bag or
0: like a paper bag, you know, like, yeah. Okay. Wait, peanut butter jelly sandwich. How many hours before the race would you eat that? Because I'm picturing eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and then going on a run. And I'm like, I mean, so if you have that like uh, moment, two hours. It's
1: recommended to eat one – I think the recommendations are one to four hours before a race depending on how you respond to food. So if you do like training and you're used to training in a near-fasted state and you perform really well – eat something three hours. It's mostly going to be out of your system, but we do want a little bit of blood sugar hanging around for optimal performance. And then if you, like for me, I can pretty much at this point eat something. I ate a bagel on my way to the gym this morning. Bagel?
0: Yes. It's the fat. It's the peanut butter. Yeah. yeah.
1: And so if you aren't a big person like that to do that, go with, go with like a bagel or, yeah. or toast or a protein bar or like a fruit bar or something mm-hmm. like that I or a banana
0: raw bagel and it's just not toasted there's something on it <sighs> and i just like, i think we've talked about this yeah before. there's a there's a contra it's a controversial topic some yeah. people love it some people hate it you know I, mean, I love a good bagel it's so easy and it's good I just when it toasted with butter whatever yeah i'm not a cream cheese person just a butter person just a butter person okay so what about during the race is this okay. the kind of race that you would fuel intro race no i mean it,
1: generally again speaking like 90 minutes is our threshold to start considering intra-workout. So again, if this is something that is going to be near maximal for you, maybe you have some liquids around and you are carrying a water bottle that has carbs like a Gatorade or, again, coconut water or something with like electrolytes. I think Liquid IV has like 11 grams of carbs. So there's a little bit in there. So I would – honestly, that's like as much as as I would consider. You're probably going to have people – going hard with like the gels and the goos and stuff like that. But again, we really like the science really in like kind of a lot of the reviews out there really said like at that hour and a half mark, start considering it. But really that two hour mark is when we want to do it. And so if you're doing like a half marathon or a full marathon, for sure, you're going to want to have some readily available fueling options in your workout. And so generally if you are fueling For something that is going to be greater than like 90 minutes, we want to replenish something every 10 to 15 minutes. This is something that if you are interested in doing, just practice it. Do not have intra-workout the day that you're doing the race because especially those gels and goos are shocks to the GI system. Yeah. Um, And you'll get people doing these like insane races and they just like down goos Mm. and gels. And it is – you're – your body is not digesting food very well when you're training. Like you're Mm -hmm. in a very sympathetic nervous system response and activity. And in that, your digestion is not – blood flow is literally diverted (laughs) away from your gut towards things like your heart, um, your muscles. It doesn't really make sense from like an evolutionary standpoint or just like practical sense to have your body prioritizing digestion and – Your reproductive system even, Mm -hmm. um, in a high training environment. And so instead, you're going to want your muscles to be working well, you're going to want your lung capacity optimized, and you want your heart pumping blood. And that's why when you have a recovery protocol, so getting sleep, taking rest days and stuff like that, you're going to be in a more recovery-driven mode, so your parasympathetic mode. And so that's where your digestion is going to be. Blood flow is diverted away from your muscles maybe and instead prioritized towards your reproduction system, your gut, your – I think it's even like your pupils dilate. You actually decrease <laughs> yeah. saliva when you're in a – because a s- saliva is just a digestive – Process so it starts breaking down food, and so you plug for starboard. So it's actually the same day, so whatever. But like the starboard crossfit mm-hmm. is doing a deadlift donut mile, and you're you eat, you do a deadlift, eat some donuts, run a mile. You don't realize how little saliva you have when you're mm-hmm. working out because eating that donut it's like the hardest thing is the, the hardest thing in the world. It took me forever to do it last year, but, anyways. I mean, yeah, you're just not going to be producing as much saliva when you're training and stuff like that. And so your digestion is not optimally working. And so high, high, high carbs is just a little bit of a GI shock um, and can lead to a lot of GI distress. So if you are doing gels and goos, start with like a quarter of the pack halfway through your run and just see how you do. Honestly, when I was training for the Ironman that I did, I started eating gels and goos without exercise, or I would Mm -hmm. do something, I had an indoor trainer for me to bike at home and that's when I started practicing it because if for some reason you have a GI issue, mm-hmm. there's a bathroom right there, but you don't want to be stranded. Too many people probably have stories oh, where they're stranded. for sure.
0: Yeah. Okay, good to know. Yeah. So
1: I mean, to be really honest, I think fluids are the biggest thing you need in the bridge run. I mean, most people are going to be in that hour to hour and a half mark. The people who are doing this in like seven hour aren't going to be eating anything. Minimize sips. So like if you are drinking something, don't guzzle. Because that's, again, just water sloshing around Mm -hmm. your gut. Like, Mm -hmm. just sip it. Have a sip here and there. But yeah, that's kind of my general thought process.
0: Okay, what about right after the race, post-race? Water. Lots of beer, right? Yep. Yeah. I mean, carbs. That is what
1: people do. Yeah. So to be really honest, this is actually something that I found with my – I mean, the second year that I did the bridge run – the non-blood clot year that redemption I did Ridge year, run. redemption mm-hmm. year, I went to Rutledge Cab and had mm-hmm. Bloody Mary, and it was the best Bloody Mary ever. Oh, yeah. I am all about like having something rewarding at the end of the race. However, when I did the Ironman, I
0: little different,
1: little different. <laughs> um, I started cramping and i don't cramp a lot like my legs i've cramped 3 times in my life one was a speed squat front work fronts front squat speed thing that i did speed front squat was know. the word yeah. um and my quad started cramping up first yeah. time that it ever happened and i was it was like 2 years ago so i was hmm. 27 the second time was during the ironman and then the third time was most recently at 10 rep max mm-hmm. at low country and that hurt but anyways I started cramping. My quad started cramping and my hamstrings cramped at mile 35 of that bike. And it's a 56 mm. mile race or bike course. And it was miserable. And I I mean, it was pretty hot. I had um, had to do something two or three days prior to the race that caused me to be pretty dehydrated. So I just didn't replenish it really well, but it was a really good indication of like yeah, I was pretty underhydrated. So the first priority post-race is going to be hydration. This does not mean go and drink as much water Mm -hmm. as humanly possible. Um, But I remember after that race, it was like really, really hot. It was in June, pretty, pretty like tired. The race was just, the bike course was just brutal. And I honestly didn't even, it was the first time that I finished a race and I like didn't want to have a beer. Mm -hmm. Um, So if that that is something that you want to have, athletic brewing, or there's a ton of non-alcoholic beer options that could be your compromise to mm-hmm. have something. So like your that's, first one. Yeah. Um, and it's just mostly just going to be like hops and water. But prioritizing post-race is going to be hydration, specifically water and also electrolytes. So um, it was actually – I think there was a study done in the 70s that was like, oh, you need to maximize as much water as humanly possible – I think – I don't remember what it was. I think it was like a 1,000 liter or milliliters of water after an exercise. I want to say, yeah. And it was a lot of water. And we actually – that's how the prevalence of hypernatremia has become such a big thing with races is people are like, oh, just drink a ton of water. And they actually – because your kidney function and your kidney output decreases when you are training, literally for some of the reasons I just said of it just isn't optimal for you to be – having maximally functioning kidneys when you're doing a race or exercise, your actual water output to digest and kind of process a lot of that does decrease. So generally speaking, I think it's like 600 milliliters per hour that you should replenish. Looking to replenish about, I think it was like fluid loss, you want to replenish 150% in fluids lost. So if you lose, if you lose like, there's a whole like calculation for there. But after the race, Water is great. However, a lot of people don't realize that water can't get in your cells unless it has specifically glucose and salt in your body for the ion channels to be functioning properly. And so this is actually a really classic indication if you are constantly drinking water and your pee is always very, very clear and or like very, very pale yellow, but you always feel dehydrated or you are not able to sleep through the night because you're waking up constantly to pee, but you are drinking a ton of water, you probably are technically dehydrated because the water has nowhere to go from your bloodstream into your cells. Which, when someone is hydrated, it's not that they've just been drinking a ton of water. It is that the water has made its way into the cells and out of the bloodstream. Um, And so that's one of the first things. If we have someone who is waking up constantly to pee, one, we want to look at just like cortisol stress, sleep habits and and routine there but also we start giving them carbs and electrolytes before bed and that usually solves the problem moral of the story here is that carbs and electrolytes are massively as crucial to replenishing your water intake so first thing that i would do afterwards is have some electrolyte supplement generally like Gatorade is good there, and I, they do have a lot of this stuff um, at the end of the race. But for me, that element, so it's Element is a really, really great supplement. It's probably one of the only supplements I'll recommend. But liquid IV, noon tablets. Any way that you can replenish electrolytes with your water is going to be honestly most important. Then we're looking at carb replenishment and then protein replenishment and then just daily nutrition. So the first thing that I would do after getting your water is prioritize getting carbs in there within zero to to an hour after your workout or after your race. They've got bars, bananas, Mm -hmm. fruit. All of those are carbohydrates. Start there and aim to eat every like two to four hours. And obviously, like, if you want to have a beer or something, treat yourself. But I would almost, with, like, 100% recommendations coming from me, recommend, like, alternating. Like, don't go and have, like, seven beers. One, you're just going to be feeling terrible the next day. And two, like, you're just going to be dehydrating yourself even more. And again, like, why not try to make yourself feel as better, as, as, like, good as humanly possible? After that Ironman race, I... I, I was so just miserably dehydrated that I actually didn't have – I don't think I had anything to drink because I was just like feeling – I was just at the extreme and I was like, I just need – I had that athletic brewing, non-alcoholic option, which was really great to like let me feel like I was having something, um, but then I just had water and food and just – went to bed. I just thought I had rhabdo. Great. Yeah. My legs were cramping so bad, but then I was fine. So yeah, and now I'm here.
0: There we go. <laughs> and now so yeah.
1: um, I would then prioritize a meal after that and get, that's where you'll get your protein in. I would honestly minimize a lot of like vegetables and stuff at that meal. Try to get like as much fuel in there as possible to replenish. And then your meals outside of that, try to keep as much as like normal as possible and then sleep.
0: All right. Solid plan. Yeah. We're we talking about food. Have you heard my stomach growling? <laughs> no, I haven't. Okay. It's just, yeah. It's like food, 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 food. We we're talking about food. Okay. One last thing. What do you feel like is the main thing that people get wrong with this or they forget about or like the main myth that we really want to debunk? I have like six that come to mind. Okay. Just one. I know. You got to just choose one. We can do all the other five on another day. <laughs> Every
1: week. Um, the worst myth is the whole fats fuel cardio carbs are actually the biggest thing again ultra runners and maybe marathoners need some fats in there to optimize that fat oxidation once they do deplete carbohydrates but even then it's more of a mix so when we do deplete carbohydrates i think after two and a half or four and a half hours of extreme Are very moderate cycling, we do see that athletes are able to maintain two and a half hours more of exercise due to, like, carb, glycogen output. So there is – you're just basically going to be breaking down muscle for that, which is just a whole other conversation – there's a whole idea that you can switch your body to be more efficient at fat oxidation for ultra runners. That probably is important, but the better and the more optimally efficient you get at fat oxidation, the worse you get at carb metabolism. Um, so if you are in that higher output range, you're not going to be able to perform as well. Um, so like, kind of like you said, like pretend that you have just like a, tub of peanut butter in your stomach and you feel sluggish, that's kind of going to be generally how it feels. And everything's adaptive. I think that's the biggest thing people miss is like, there's going to be people probably listening to this being like, oh, well, I don't eat before a workout and I feel fine. And like bodies, I know you guys preach this message all the time. The human body is, I'm literally looking at adaptable right there. (laughs) Um, The human body is insanely adaptable. And so if you're listening to this and you're like, "Oh, well I do this already. I eat, I don't eat an, I don't eat more than 75 grams of protein and I'm fine." Or, "Well, I don't eat carbs and I'm fine." One, your body has adapted to that. And it doesn't mean that doing an alternative way or some of the things that we we're like kind of talking about here doesn't mean that you couldn't get better. And it might be an adjustment period. So maybe don't go 0 to 100 and swing the other way, but that's kind of the biggest thing that I kind of see is like people are like, especially with nutrition, just they want to fight it all the time. And they're like, well, I had someone literally, this was like two months ago, like attack me on Instagram because I made a post that you shouldn't be eating 1400 calories because that's literally the caloric recommendation for a toddler. Um, People should be eating more. And she freaked out on me. She was like, I'm so tired of people pretending like they know what they're talking about and telling me what to eat. And I was like, I'm not telling you what to eat at all. But like, I know so many people in the Charleston fitness nutrition community that preach that that message, like eat more than a toddler Mm -hmm. and it's funny just people who still respond with the classic like, "Well, I eat 1400 and I'm fine."
0: Think, um one,
1: yeah. you're and this is something I've seen time and time and time again, there's actually a lot of data to back this up. People eat more than they realize. If you're eating 1200 calories, again, the human body is amazingly resilient and adaptable. So, it's going to be going to like those weekend binges and and maybe if you eat, I did the math for one of my clients and he was like trying to gain weight last year and he was eating 3,500 calories to 4,000 calories and was miserable. And so we're working together now and his intake that I have him at is 2,800 to three. We work a lot with ranges and for a number of reasons, if you're interested, ask me, but 2,800 to 3,000 calories. So he's eating in his mind, almost a thousand calories less than what he was trying to eat the year before. And in the like, last four weeks, we've put on six pounds and he has PR'd his snatch. He crush, he's crushing the open right now and is feeling very, very good. And he was like, I don't understand how because I'm eating less than I was trying to eat last year. So we broke down the math. I was like, okay, so you're trying to eat 3,500 calories, 4,000 calories every day and you were successful for two of them. And then exactly. because he was so miserable for those two days, he backswung to like eating, I think, 1,500 calories those other days. So when you do the math, seven, over the average intake for his week, it was 2,000 calories. So now we're a little bit more attainable and we're a little bit more approachable. And he was eating 25 to 3,000 calories. That's 500 to 1,000 calories more. what he was eating when he was trying to gain weight but that's like the biggest thing is people are like i mean, 1200 calories but like when we do the math on maybe some of those like non-track days or or uh binge days kind of averages out a little bit more so that would be my biggest kind of thing is just like my recommendation from that is just be open-minded if something that i'm like talking about you're really really resilient or resistant to protein maybe try carbs and just see, like, if we can optimize even just one thing, feeling a little bit better, again, like you're going to perform better, you're going to feel better in the gym. And that's kind of like my biggest thing is like, obviously, I care about the science. And I care about people doing as best as they can humanly possible. But like, ultimately, I just kind of want people to feel better. And so maybe it's that you just want to try eating two hours before your runs. And that's kind of all you're going to try for the next four weeks do that and then try to stay consistent there. And then if you do better on the bridge run, cool. Now you can have an entire year to make some of the bigger changes on training for endurance and, and all that stuff kind of outside of that period.
0: Yeah. I think what people forget about two things, are you surviving or are you thriving? And you don't know how bad you feel until you feel good. It's Mm -hmm. like, you don't know how good you feel until you're sick. And so people are like, well, I've been doing this and I'm fine. And I'm like, well, at what cost? And then do you not potentially want to feel better? Okay, leave that there. The other side is that adaptation sometimes is negative. Mm -hmm. You know, like how are you adapting? Are you losing muscle mass? Are you getting injured? Are you experiencing pain? Are you miserable? Are you miserable and are you a jerk and can you focus? And is your body, you know, prioritizing your really important vital organs? So you're losing hair, you're losing your fingernails, like – Obviously, that's really drastic, but I think people are like, well, my body is adaptable. And I'm like, exactly, which means you could get a positive adaptation if you do it the right way. You could also get a negative adaptation because your body's going to make it work. Yeah. You just want to make it work in a way that feels good to you. Right. And so it's like – it's always funny – We're like, I want to help you feel the best as possible. And people are like, well, I do this and I'm fine. It's like, yo, listen, that's okay. I'm just trying to give you the best practice, how to optimize ideally. If you want to feel amazing, it is up to you if you do not. It's like, I'm not, we're not saying like, I don't know. There's just, it's just funny. Yeah. No, it's funny. I had a client.
1: And so if you know me, you know that I'm generally very, very nice. If you've ever worked with me, you know that I'm like, Hugely empathetic and very very kind and that whole like mean coach approach i cannot do i had a client who i've been working on working with for
0: and working on working <laughs> on. well
1: yeah um for like eight months and she one time sent an email she was like you've got to give me tough love now mm-hmm. and i was like okay i've got this i've got this yeah. i sent the email she was like that wasn't tough love yeah and it was very it was like hugely empathetic kind like i whatever. really understand yeah i was like i'm here to support you and like i understand i think that in the coaching world and in nutrition specifically People are too mean to themselves, Mm -hmm. and I can't be adding to that meanness. And so I do understand that's not the right fit for everyone, but that is generally my approach. And I've learned finally after six years of learning Clarity that that is my thing, and I'm just going to lean into Mm it. Um, But I had a client that needed a little bit of tough love because he was being like, well, I don't understand why you know, other people don't have to put all the effort in that I'm doing and they like feel, feel as great as possible. He was like, so I don't really buy it. And so my response really was just kind of like, I don't care if you don't buy it, but here's what the science says. And we can't control, you might have a neighbor who is going to go hit, let's use Jordan, the owner of Low Country Barbell, for an example. If that kid went and ran the bridge run, he'd probably run it in like 50 minutes I could train for the bridge run for like three years and not run as fast as he can. He's just going to be a better runner. He's, he's run more, he's faster, and he is just who he is. So like, yeah, there's going to be people who run better than you or run faster than you, and maybe they literally put no effort into their nutrition. But like, It kind of doesn't matter like how you feel about it. It's kind of like science doesn't care how you feel. Mm -hmm. The science is there. And like with nutrition, we just get that pushback all the time. Like the whole fasting Mm -hmm. and fasted training situation. People are like, why fast and I feel fine. And I just there's there was a new meta review that came out this past year that was like, we don't see a lot of detriments in fasted training. So it's not like, and again, like this kind of is online with on brand with both of us. Like, going and doing a workout fasted, you're not going to die. Like it's not going to kill you. You're not going to be magically like all of a sudden just completely damaged. But what we do find with fasted training is that you're just not able to push as hard. And so you just might also be holding yourself back from hitting insane PRs. So like if you're just feeling super sluggish and you're just not able to push, maybe your your race time and your pace is 10 miles per hour i was like what are the units <laughs> um 10 miles per hour but if you're fed and you can push maybe you drop down to like eight so like
0: like not. do you want to get the most out of your training yeah you know like you're already putting an effort you're already taking time like do you do you want to get the most that you could possibly get yeah. do you want to really enjoy this and that's the that's the difference it's yeah thriving, for sure, for sure. Yeah. thank you claire this has been awesome thanks Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy. Please subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. If you'd like to keep up with Claire and Clarity, all those links are in the show notes. Otherwise, have an amazing week. Hope everyone enjoys the bird run.